Hello, everyone, and welcome to our True Tales Live Zoom show on February 22nd, 2022. Yes, it's 22222. I'm Amy Antonucci here to welcome you and to thank all of you for watching and listening, and especially those of you here in our live online audience. We love seeing you. Our mission at True Tales Live is to give a space to people to tell first-person experience stories. These are stories that reflect our community's personal and cultural diversity, stories that help us bridge differences and build understanding and respect for each other. We're so happy to be together, even on Zoom. We have learned a few things about making the most of the online format. Um, it's important to us that storytelling be an exchange between tellers and listeners. So here's how you can help us keep that piece of it alive despite being online. First of all, if you have your video on, please have visible or practice, have fun with visible reactions. For instance, I think Tom's gonna, gonna have some fun moments in this. So like laugh about it, aha! Everyone laugh. <laughs> uh, and then folks can uh, cheer for him. Yay, Tom. So nice visible reactions since we're muted. And also use the chat box that we save later and share with our tellers and people tell us that's a really nice thing to do. The other thing that you can put in chat are questions that come up for you for our teller. After the stories, there'll be a section of Q&A and your, story, your question might get picked, so please use it. Tonight's show is our third featured teller show. This means we have just one person telling a number of stories. And Tom Osberg is who we're featuring and he's going to bring us his misadventures. Pat Spaulding is our MC and join me in welcoming her. Come on down, Pat. Okay, here I am, unmuted. Ah, good to see you all, or see if you, you, and, and uh, really glad to introduce Tom Ostberg. He says he's a wanderer who stops on the trail to use all of his senses to experience the beauty of this world. I can appreciate that, Tom. He grew up in New Jersey, where he always dreamed of climbing around in the Great White Mountains until he found, finally found his way to Wyndham, New Hampshire, where he now lives, to be closer to his dreams. For decades, Tom hiked, camped, and canoed all over New England, regaling his family and friends with tales of adventure. But now, with his five kids, grown up and gone, he shares his stories more widely. Although all of Tom's stories are true, his kids called them Tom Tall Tales, <laughs> which is the name he chose for his website, TomTallTales.com. More stories and photographic journaling can be found there. Tonight, Tom will share four of his adventure tales with us. In the first one, sorry, mom, <laughs> we'll meet him as a child wanderer. In the next one, missed on the trail, Tom has become a young Cub Scout explorer. Then we'll find him as a young man who has thrown caution to the wind for the sake of adventure in his story, Writing on the Wall. Finally, in Ant Island, we'll hear about old friends who find themselves sometimes struggling to create new memories. Tom invites all of us to take a walk with him tonight. So kick off your boots. Get comfortable in your imaginations and let's go. The title of Tom's first story is Sorry, Mom. Take it away, Tom. Okay. Hi, I'm Tommy. If found, please return to the Osbergs house. That's actually the note my mom would put on the back of my shirt when I was I'd take my little tricycle and go roaring down the sidewalk in the Chicago area in look of adventure. And my mom also tells a story that 
when I was a toddler, I used to shake the side of the crib so hard that I could, I could reach over and take off the bolts, push the side off, and crawl around the house at night. Poor mom. But when my brother was born, I got sad, but I got a dog. My dog's name was Prince. He was a big dog with pointy ears and big blue eyes. And we used to crawl, pretending we were in caves behind the couch. And every once in a while, a, a lamp would fall and break. And I'd say, sorry, mom, but Prince did it. And, and then there was the, the times where there would be uh, sooty footprints from the fireplace across the rug. And I'd say, sorry, mom, Prince did it, which it wasn't fair because I would get the spanking. I, I guess because Prince was my dog and, and maybe because my mom couldn't see my imaginary friend. Well, as I grew up, I finally got Byron at about eight years old, a, a dirty blonde crew cut, cut out of the same cloth. We would go down into the woods and, and every day and hung out together and we'd bring back logs and, and put them up between the trees over the front yard, and, which sometimes when the wind blew, my dad would, would scream and, at us because they'd come raining down on the driveway. And, but sometimes we'd lie in the pine needles and just watch the clouds go by. And, and sometimes we'd find treasures in the woods and bring back rocks and frogs and, and bugs. And, and then sometimes we'd hear screams from the kitchen. Ah, mom's screaming in the kitchen. And I was like, but mom, I didn't know garter snakes could have up to 40 live babies. Well, at the end of one winter, we'd been playing tag in the house, jumping from chair to couch and, and slamming doors. And finally, mom said, go outside. And, and I said, oh, oh, can we go to the brook? Just go outside, go outside now, but don't get all wet. Well, she always said, don't get wet. So we quick got on our hats and our, our gloves and our, and our coats and went down the end of the street where the brook started and went down towards the golf course where there was a pond. Soon we were throwing rocks in through the whitish breaking up ice of the spring. Chink, 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 plunk, plunk, plunk. And, and then we were throwing sticks out and on the harder ice in the middle and they go, make funny noises. It was really great. And then Byron said, I bet you could walk on that ice out there. Well, I bet. So I said, there's only one way to find out. I took his hat, tossed it out on the ice. He says, what'd you do that for? And he said, well, let's go find out. So we took some of the logs and we put them between the mud and across the white fractured ice onto the thicker ice, and skirted out real slow and careful. And it, it was fine as long as you stayed kind of apart from each other. And we picked up some of those long sticks we'd thrown and started chipping off pieces of the ice and pushing them out into the current. And it was so neat to watch them floating down and pick up another one. But every time we chipped one off, the ice would kind of start to sink in a little bit. You have to back up real quick. And I just love looking up at the trees and watching it and thinking about stories. And then I was hearing a chittering sound and I, I turned and Byron had a silly grin on his face. He had chipped us free from the bank and we were starting to float away. And he's like, I dare to jump that one. It was too late though. And we floated. We were one big long iceberg. But then we thought it was like Tom Sawyer and Huck Finn, what could be better? And we got our sticks and we're paddling along. Maybe we can get to the far side of the lake. Then a big crack split it in two. My piece was nice and big, but Byron's was kind of wobbling, kind of starting to sink. And, and then I could read his mind. And I said, no, and a spring of youth, he leaps through the air. And when he landed on my piece, thousands of micro cracks ran underneath me and 
We both screamed as we fell into the lake. Ah! It was only waist deep and muddy. And we kept the sticks over and joined arms and waddled to the shore. By the time we started running, our, our blue jeans froze solid like pipes. We were like, like tin soldiers running. And when we got home and we knocked on the door, mom opened it. She goes, ah, oh, what are you guys up to? And I said, held up my dry mittens. I said, but mom, we didn't get all wet. Thank you. <laughs> oh, you got off on a technicality, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> well, I use that technicality a lot. <laughs> so maybe was, one shoe dry. <laughs> yeah, did she? So she was okay with it. You didn't really get punished. She just was like, "Oh well, he got me." <laughs> <laughs> I think I got punished a lot. <laughs> but was, what about that? Was that your? How old were you when that happened? Oh, I think I was, uh, I don't know. That must have been eight, seven or eight. Okay. Was that your first introduction to the exhilaration of risk and getting away with it? Oh, yeah. I think that's a very memorable one for sure. Cool. We've got a few photos, I think, to show of um, some of that. Let's see, okay, so you're... That's, that's but that's not an imaginary dog. <laughs> no, that's me and Byron. So your brother. He was the best friend. Yeah, and and, and that was oh your uh, friend our that's black right. lab, Diana. Okay, so you're the little guy and Byron is the bigger one. He's bigger, yeah. Yeah, okay. I got cool. the ears. <laughs> and this is your mom um who um had to put yeah. up a little light. She had to put up with three boys. I don't know how she lived through it. <laughs> <laughs> she Thanks, <looks> like, Mom. <laughs> thank you, Mom. We'll all thank you. Yeah, sorry, Mom. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and so this is like you for real, only what, 40 well, years I, later? I, I told this story to someone, and they said that, that wouldn't work. And so I said, went down to Massabesic in Manchester, and we I chopped a piece off and started floating around. And darn it. It looks like fun to me. It really does. Yeah, I mean, getting off it once you, you chip it off is pretty hard though. <laughs> How did you get off that one just out of curiosity? Did you get wet? I think I got a wet foot, yeah. <laughs> okay, nonetheless, that's uh, that's impressive. <laughs> Are we ready to go to uh, story number two? Oh, sure, if you're ready. <laughs> well, yes, I am ready for Mist on the Trail. Here we go, take it away. Okay. I was only 10 and a half in a canoe in Maine and it was August and the leaves were whipping around and quaking. The river looked like it ended. It was a silver line across the end of the river. And it was just reflecting a little bit of the trees but you could hear the roar of the rapids on the other side. See, my dad really wanted to go on a long wilderness adventure with the scouts, the boy scouts, but I was only a cub scout and it was a father and son trip. Well, you know, he was a good talker. So he, he had his pipe, he'd chew on his pipe and he talked to the scout master and he got us on the roster to go on this father and son boy scout trip. 100 mile wilderness adventure in Maine. Wouldn't it be wonderful? And since he was talking to the scoutmaster, I had to go to all the meetings. And I think Dr. Siegel, the scoutmaster, was a type A personality because he had slideshows and a notebook full of, of handouts. And we had to learn to read the water. There was there was the downstream V where there's a rock splitting it and you had to quick do a certain stroke to get around the rock. And there was the upstream V where there were two rocks, the water shooting down between it. And you had to get in the middle, but you had to be careful that you didn't hit the rooster tail at the end because you'd capsize. And there was even land training where you'd learn your J stroke, your cross bow rudder. I got assigned Todd, who was another scout. He was 
brown haired and taller, but about my weight. And we got our own canoe. I got to be the stern man, the one who steered. Every day we'd go down the Allagash River, we'd see moose and their calves feeding in the shallows. We'd, we'd eat by campfire and sleep in tents. We'd hear loons, that, that crazy cackle that echoed across the lakes and the northern lights at night and, and run rapids every day. Well, this day, we'd come to a pool where the water was just at the edge of the next rapids. We were the first canoe, probably because we were really good. Or maybe it was because dad was talking with a scoutmaster again, and chewing on his pipe. But we were, we had to pick a side. Todd sat up as high as he could. And he, he scouted as far as he could see over the edge where it dropped. It was like the surface tension on a glass too full. The water was just pent up and wanting to drive itself over the edge. And Todd said, I think the left side looks better. What do you think? And I said, well, there's only one way to know and pull, pull, pull. And we went over the edge and down into the rapids. And it was pull to the right, pull to the right, sweep, sweep, crossbow rudder. And then we found an eddy behind a rock. And Todd said, hey, there's a man over there on the shore and he's waving at us. I said, wow, that's strange. He has no canoe. But we'll have to let him talk to the scoutmaster. So we swept out into the current again. And and, and we're doing really well. We're doing the crossbow rudder and the sweep and going left, the crossbow rudder. And the, there's a downstream V and upstream Vs and the, the water's coalescing into a chute and it's getting really loud and it's really crazy. And Todd suddenly yells, hey, that man over there looks like he's in trouble. And sure enough, at a quick glance, I could see the man was jumping up and down and waving his hands. And I was like, oh no. Well, I guess we're scouts. We're going to have to go help them out. So with some backwater and some sweeps and bumping into a whole lot of rocks, we finally got to the shore. And just as the man was going into the woods and he gave us a wave and we pulled up the canoes and walked in behind him. As soon as we got into the trees, it was quiet. You couldn't hear the rapids. And as we walked on the trail, it turned from leaves to granite. And there was mist in among the bushes and they were dripping. And as we got farther down the trail, finally we stepped out on a parapet of rock above the whole river, went around the corner over the waterfall, smashing whole tree trunks into smithereens. The ferocity of the wind was blowing our, hurt, our hats and shirts back. And we turned to thank the man, but he was gone. Even today, when there's a close call, but you feel something saying, watch out, or a random person walks by and warns you of something, I wonder, am I remembering and seeing the same man? Whoa, <laughs> welcome to the Twilight Zone. Um, that's, that's a great story. I, 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 I mean, it's like this mystery. <laughs> you saw this guy, was he, he was close to the shore first? I mean- He was he, on the shore. He was on the shore. And then when you actually, when he did that, he was still on the shore. And that was what you- A little farther down. Yeah, so we, we saw him first without the canoe up near the beginning of the rapids. And then we saw him again near where we pulled out. Um, luckily, we pulled. if you hadn't pulled out the, there, then bye-bye oh. little Tommy and friend. Yeah, bye-bye little Tommy. <laughs> Jeez. Um, I was kind of perplexed as I, like your dad, he, 
wanted to yeah. go up. So where was dad? How come as a Cub Scout, you got just assigned to be the first one <laughs> with this older kid? I mean, that's. Um, yeah, I know. I know. It'll be interesting when we when I talk with David afterwards, maybe he'll cover this. Sometimes a single story can have multiple parts. So, yeah, I, I worked on this story once and I was like, my relationship with dad was the main part of the story. And huh. then another time it was my my relationship with the man who saved us. Um, so there's all different parts the story can lead into. Yeah, that's it definitely sets up lots of curiosity, but I, um, there's a picture also, of my dad here. Yeah, why don't we when we take a look at the pictures? Woohoo, that's where you would have gone. <laughs> that was the falls we would have gone over. Holy moly, Tom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. That yeah, uh, so the parapet you stand in is off to the left, just at, in the woods there. Oh yeah. Okay. Woo. All right. Yeah. That's, I, I can feel it in my stomach. Just looking at that. Glad you made it. Thank you. And that, <laughs> that's actually my son, Tommy, but probably looked like me. So. Yeah. That's adorable. And that's you in the background. Yep. Okay. Like father, like son. Yeah, <laughs> Speaking Guess of that is. <laughs> <laughs> That's your dad with a uh, smoking a pipe, and he made such a name for himself that they even put a big carving yeah. on him up. <laughs> yeah, I don't know where the carving came from, but he always was smoking a pipe. So that's a great shot. Yeah, my grandfather did too. Whoa, good story. Are we all calmed down and ready for another one? Um, let's give it a try. This next story is titled. Writing on the wall. There was a black, black opening in the wall. It wasn't just black, it was like pitch black. And I kind of wanted to know what, what was in that room in the cave. And just as I stepped to go through it, a hand grabbed my arm and and Rick pulled me back aside and said, look at the floor, there's some writing there. Oh, the writing there. But let me tell you, this was West Virginia Wesleyan kids. This was in West Virginia where there were lots of caves. And I was leading the Speology Club from West Virginia Wesleyan back into Bowden Cave. I was the president of the Speology Club. Uh, it was the first Speology Club ever there. And the reason I was the president is because I had taken out of the library their one and only copy of all the maps in West Virginia and read it three times. So I was the expert. And I got the college to buy us some carbide lamps and canvas hats, which you, in West Virginia, it's a coal mining area. so. From even the hardware store, you could find these carbide lamps and canvas hats. Carbide lamps, it drips a little water onto carbide and it puts out a settling gas and about an inch and a half flame and the reflector. And that's how you saw in the caves back then. And I was leading the, the top 12 college freshmen into the cave, into Bowden. The highway, when they had put it through in this one side, had split open the mountain where, where a part of the cave came out. You'd walk in among all the boulders, and then it went into a small tunnel, and then into a big room, and then the big room had a river through it with a rotting bridge made out of logs. And you'd follow the river up to a keyhole passage, and then you were in the big room. In the big room, you could just imagine a house being built in there or a dragon flying from side to side. And once we were back in there, we would eventually get tired and take out our lunches, have a picnic and split up and do the smaller passages. Me and Rick, my roommate, were doing a, 
a small passage we decided to do, we'd seen it was, it was almost the belly crawl, but not quite. We went farther and farther in and it opened up into a saucer shaped room. And the room had bowls of water in it with crystals around the edge, each one with one soda straw stalactite coming from the ceiling with a single drop of water that must take eons for to drop into that pool. Because of the pools and our, our flame, our light, it was just a brilliant white room. It was gorgeous. We looked at each other and said, we really need to bring the others back here. As we walked around this round room, we came to a stalagmite coming up from the floor and behind it was this dark, dark opening. And I really wanted to see what was in that room because limestone is white. It was almost a burnt color, but it had that, that feeling of darkness and fear that just lived in it. And, and as I stepped towards it, Rick had pointed to the floor. And it wasn't uncommon to use your carbide light to, to burn a spot on the wall so you could find your way back out of the cave. But these were some words, and I couldn't really tell what they were. And he said, do you think that's a warning? And I said, there's only one way to tell. And I grabbed his arm and pulled him in. We stood in this room for a minute. It was like 20 feet high and curved across 30 feet. It seemed like a subway tunnel that just went on and on and on with black walls. And the floor was kind of mossy feeling. As we walked back, the sounds just disappeared and there were no footfalls. And we got a little more brave as we went farther and farther back into this room. And after a hundred feet or so, it was like it caved in, but there was a small opening in the ceiling with a breeze coming from it. And then, I saw a white spot on the wall and, and it just drew me in. I wanted to touch that one white spot on the wall. And, and Rick said, the old echo, echo, echo. And suddenly around the white spot, a dozen gold eyes opened up and I realized we were in big trouble. Those weren't black walls. They were bat covered walls. And I said, run, and we turned. And then there were two white spots and 10 white spots and sheets of bats were falling from the ceiling from our yelling and, and they were coming at us. And, and Rick's light went out and he fell to the ground and he went, oh no. And I said, oh, that's a good idea. And I turned my light down and I kneeled down on the ground and I go, oh. What is it? I turned my light back on and it was bat droppings, gooey bat droppings. And now the bats are coming at the light again and they're crawling on his back and my shoulder. <laughs> and we had to turn our lights out and we had to wait until the bats started calming down and you could hear their peeping and feel them on your back. And, and you, we crawled a little bit and then we turned the light on and they'd wake up again and they start flying around our heads and we turn out the lights and Finally, we could hold the little light an inch from the floor and crawl through the goo until we came to the opening of the cave door. And I know now you really should heed a warning written on the wall. <laughs> Um, before you ask another question, what exactly was written on that wall? <laughs> it said, beware bats. <laughs> well, duh. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, in my defense, it, you couldn't really see all the letters. It was a B, a W, like an R, and a, right. and a T, and an S. And I totally understand. I actually... If you just walk in, you'll figure it out. 
Yes, absolutely. And if you hadn't just walked in, we wouldn't have this story. I, right. I don't, I don't um, pay attention to signs. I people, uh, actually, my cousin Dale, who I think is watching this, um, will be driving down the road and she'll be pointing out things there. Did you see that? Just like no, 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 I don't see. Just whatever's kind of in front of me and just keep going. Um, that was a beautiful trip into that cave. I oh. just loved, I mean, that was beautiful the way you described it. And it was awful. The exit was terrible the way you described <laughs> it. Man, yeah, I wanted to be with you. And then I didn't, <laughs> but I wasn't. <laughs> so what have you got for, for photos of this one? So that's the opening of Bowden Cave. Okay. I was able to find it uh, from someone who took it recently. So, so that's where you entered? That's where we entered. Yep. And Impressive. that goes down to a pinch to a tunnel. And so that's one place that it's in Bowden. It shows somebody uh, and the pools of water. The, my pools in my room were more all cylindrical and smooth and all uniform. This is a different, a different one with a little bit of the river going through. But. Yeah, I like your pools better. I want to see those. I mean, in my imagination, I did. Okay. And, and that's another Bowd, part of Bowden. You can see, oh, when you come back, when I come back then, I can show you a, a soda straw stalactite. They come oh, okay. from the ceiling one droplet at a time. And then they keep growing. And rather than growing into stalagmites. Mites. Mites. Mites are from the floor, tights yeah. are from the ceiling. And But these and, just drop into a pool. Yeah. And these will eventually meet the one from the floor. Okay. Oh, and that's like the carbide light. Is that what you called it? Yeah, it's carbide light. And um, you wore them on a hat? You put them on a hat, yeah. So, and, and believe it or not, back then we had canvas hats. We didn't have helmets. <laughs> Ew. Now, would they ignite something if you got too close to a bat or something or <laughs> bat, bat guana? Yeah, well, an hour ago I looked it up and I guess bat guana is actually flammable. And there was a town in Texas that was called Blowout because a cave entrance got hit by lightning and the it exploded. <laughs> so Oh my goodness. So you... I didn't know that until an hour ago, but <laughs> Well, you were even luckier to get out than we realized. Wow. Yeah. In spite of having to drag yourself through bat guana. Okay. Yeah, so I have a, a little piece of a stalactite. This is the soda straw ones. Oh, so yeah. Kind of see it's hollow. Mm -hmm. And they come down one drip at a time, must take forever for it to evaporate. And then one more drip and it evaporates. And I still have my carbide lamp with me too. Is that the one that you used? Yeah. I mean, the actual artifact? This is it. Right. As a sparker to, to light it on fire. I don't have any carbide, but that was pretty common back then. Now they just use something battery powered? Yep. Uh, you so know, you can carry a bag of, of rocks. The carbide is like little rocks. And then, uh, you know, a, a quarter cup of them will last a couple hours. So if you had a whole pound of those rocks, it'll last you hours and hours and hours and hours. So back then batteries didn't last too long. Oh, interesting. Okay. Uh, uh, so, all right. I, I think we're ready to wrap up for our last story. Um, I'm going to miss having another one after that. This story is titled Ant Island. So it was August, and the three of us, Jim, Richard, and I, were having trouble finding the put-in for our kayaks. We had gone up to Maine to go kayaking, <clears throat> but the tide was going out really fast, and we are having trouble getting our gear into the kayaks as the water went out. I guess we should have known this was going to be more interesting. We were the 50-year-olds planning for a week-long trip uh, 
for adventure fun and maybe to prove something to ourselves, paddle out to a campsite on Ant Island, beaches and fires and dinners by sunset. Costco Bay, Maine is a beautiful area, thousand square miles of islands and oceans, old World War II bunkers. It'd be full of beautiful places to camp, colorful lobster boats, great sunsets. Um, the guy who planned it for us, the fourth guy, couldn't come. But he did tell us that he had left the directions and the instructions with his wife. So we went, talked to her, and she said, and the note, it says, just go to Portland and paddle out that island, man up. It can't be that big a deal. And, of course, he was a Navy SEAL, and he was supposed to be the leader. So the three of us started paddling out and we did find a place finally to put the kayaks in, which was near, wasn't in the place we thought it was, it was more closer to some lobster boats, but they said it'd be okay. And as we paddled out into the bay, it was a huge bay, Costco Bay. And I'm looking down on a, the yellow marine charts. I'm used to the green and brown land topo lines and i've done kayaking in lakes and rivers but the ocean is really different it was a little bit of a swell all the time but it was really warm and really beautiful and and richard's more observant and he's pointing out way off in the distance there's a cruise ship over there way over there there's some other sort of black and red ship and and we're looking at all the buoys and we're going out and I'm looking at my chart and it has a square in the middle of the, the bay and we're paddling across some sort of square. And Richard again's looking at me and said, that, that black and red ship is getting bigger. And we paddle a little farther and now there's more than one of those black and red ships. And I think it's an oil tanker. And then I look down on the map again and it says transfer area. We're paddling across the tanker oil transfer area and we're having trouble going in a straight line and, and not bumping into each other. And none of us knows how to roll a kayak or do a rescue. We start paddling like crazy and we're getting better and better and we're keeping in line with the plan according to the absentee planner was to paddle out past the last island over to another set of bays. And I only got past that island we probably should have known, but the waves were big. They were like small hills. You go surfing down one side of them only to get picked up and you're tottering on the top of the other one, afraid you're gonna tip and then surfing down the other side. And when you're at the bottom, you're looking around and you're all by yourself. I can't see the other guys. And then you're up on the top and you're tottering around. I'm like, we gotta get out of here. Because all the thing you could see behind us on those islands was huge black cliffs and spray shooting in the air. We finally got inside the islands as a, and it was now more of a, a mellow, big, wavy type of surf. But you had to be careful because of the sharp, white sharp knives of coral on uh, barnacles on all the rocks and. And then a fog set in. And it was one of those fogs like the monsters coming out of a movie or, or putting a, a sweater over your head and, and getting stuck in a sleeve. And, and we were trying not to hit each other and not to get onto the rocks. And, and I'm looking at the chart and I'm, I, after the next bay, we're supposed to go out to Ant Island, but we can't see anything. So we make a human chain. I go out a little farther and I can see Richard who can see Jim, who's kind of oblivious, who can see the land. And we stretch it to 10 feet and I can still see them. And then we stretch it to 20 feet. And now I can hear them and they're sounding a little nervous. And I thought I saw something dark ahead. So I lied. I said, I think I see it. And so I stretched out farther from Richard and suddenly Jim was next to me and he says, 
where is it? Where's it? I said, where's land? I don't know what the currents are doing. And now we're all out here in the middle of the fog in the middle of the bay. And, and suddenly there's two screams. Ah! One's mine. The other one is a lobsterman. <laughs> he says, where'd you guys come from? You're going to die out here. Well, we had a little sheepish conversation with him. And he did point in the direction of an island. We paddled over and we found our island. And we pulled up and it was small, but it had a little shack in the middle. So we decided to camp there. And the next day, I think we decided we were probably good with our adventure and decided to read books and wash up. And I took out the charts and realized we weren't on Ann Island. It was called Crow Island, but there was an inn on the big island just west of us. And wouldn't that be great for dinner? So we called him up, had almost no service. And, and she, the operator connected us to an inn on some island in some bay. And when we're asking her where we might be, and she was very confused and gonna hang up until she realized we were kayakers. We had no clue what day it was or what hour it was. And, she said, oh, we could fit you in at the end of the day. So we paddled over and pulled up and walked across. And, and the inn was one of those grand old New England, grand historic inns. It was just beautiful. And we sat there sipping some whiskey in front of a fieldstone fireplace, surrounded by seafaring memorabilia. We had a great dinner and wine and watching the sunset through the huge open windows. And as we walked away and they locked up behind us and we're laughing still and telling stories, we probably should have known. We'd left the flashlights in the kayaks and the island has dirt road with no streetlights. Every once in a while, there'd be a cottage with a dim lamp to let us know we weren't walking into the ocean. We finally got to the beach and the water. There were no kayaks. Ah, but Richard said, there's also no trees. So let's walk back up. And we found the kayaks tied up. The tide had gone out. So we pulled them down in the direction we had seemed to have them. And as we put the headlamps on and started paddling out, all we could see was the pale faces on each one of us. And we weren't laughing as much or as loud. And suddenly, suddenly Jim started screaming, a dead body, a dead body. And he's whacking at something, he's tangled in something. And we come over to help him. And, and my gosh, the white bleached ribs and the, and the long gooey arms and the black hair. And, and I looked at it and, wait, something wasn't right. The, the ribs were square and flat and made out of wood. It was a lobster trap. But now the, the fear in our brains was just going crazy. And we looked around and we couldn't see any island anywhere. There was no cottages with lights left behind us. The only thing we could see was somewhere up in front, there was a black shimmering. We paddled slowly towards it. And when we got there, it was like a, a monolith of goo coming out of the ocean. We couldn't tell if it was the side of an animal or a ship. And then we followed the wall of goo and it hit another wall of goo. And and then we realized this must be our island. At high tide, it's only 30 feet across, but at low tide, it's like 100 feet across and 10 feet in the air. And we couldn't find any other place to go. So we went out one bay and back into another one, but it also dead ended and out another bay and into another one and out and now the the cold of the main water is seeping through our legs and into our backs. And 
and the chill of the night is, is eating away at us and we're shivering. And finally, we decide we have to just try and we found us a lower bunch of blocks and pulled on the seaweed and pushed each other up till we got up onto the island again. We decided that was the last day. And that next day as we paddled out, the water was smooth like a mirror. We could see the clouds and the seagulls reflected in it and look down inside like it was seeing sea urchins and starfish. We did continue on with other adventures as the three amigos, but that day was the true adventure of an incredible, diverse, and very hard weather patterns of Maine's personalities and a deep, deeply bonded friendship, but probably should have known. <laughs> ah, so at least there's three amigos. You didn't lose one. <laughs> oh, no. two Sorry. <laughs> um, I don't know about that paddling out at night. Tom, I mean, couldn't you have just gotten a room at the place with a nice <laughs> dinner? <laughs> well, I, I think I think the the wine might have had a little to do with it. <laughs> oh yeah, we get three fifty year olds looking for adventure. Yeah. This is what comes up. This is what you find. Well, all right, you've got um, a, a long term, lifelong friendship out of it. So I guess that that's that's the takeaway. This is what. <laughs> that's right. As sometimes you different things bond you together as friends. Uh, once again, you know, go, you go right back to the very beginning, your wanderer, little six or eight year old, where there's the exhilaration of taking a risk and getting away with it. You never got over <laughs> that, Tom. <laughs> I don't think of it as getting away with it. I think of it as a learning experience and conquering it. But uh, okay, learning. <laughs> Yep. Though I do, I do have some friends that won't go hiking with me anymore. So, <laughs> all right. So we're looking at a chart here, and I'm seeing a couple of um, on the the right and the left. There's those straight lines. Is that what you mean by the transfer of where the um, the yeah the you can see yeah you can see the square and it says oil transfer area. Yeah. The there's left. okay. It's a square in the middle of the white. Oh, water yes, yes, there. yes, of course. Right. And there's kind of it's a hard to see. line. Right. Yeah. I, I, I have no clue why there would be a square in the middle of the ocean. <laughs> now I know. It's scary. And, yeah. And the red is where I'm pretty sure it's Crow Island, that little teeny dot. Yeah, it is teeny. Okay. <laughs> is this that's one of the amigos? Yeah, that's Jim. He's the one that was supposed to keep track of where land was for me. <laughs> okay, it looks like you found it eventually. <laughs> yeah. Ah, that's where you should have done your overnight. That's where we should have done the overnight. Yeah. So what island is that on? Or is that? The, the inn is on Shabik Island. Ah, yes. Okay, Shabik. Sure. Yeah, that's a big one. Yeah. Yeah, it's a big, it's a really big inn. And it's Shabik's a big island, as opposed yep. to this. Is that Ant Island? I I think that's Crow Island. It's really hard to find a picture, um, but that looks, uh, from what I can tell, as it's in the right area, and uh, the trees are bigger than they used to be. But yeah, and that's the beautiful type of day that you were able to paddle out on. I know it was so flat that last day you wouldn't even believe. It was the same weather. Well, it was almost like kayaking on a lake. Yeah, I know how to do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, these were some uh, grand stories, Tom. We'd like to thank you for uh, taking us on an armchair adventure <laughs> in the comfort of our own homes. Um, oh, I hope you enjoyed it. Good. Yeah, for sure. I really enjoyed your discomfort not being mine. Much better to imagine it. <laughs> I'll take you anytime. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, maybe, because I am doing some adventuring here in Harrisville. All right, I'll give it over to Amy now. Thank you, Tom. Sure. 
Uh, we just have a, a few minutes for Q and A. Um, there'll be a much more extensive, well, there'll be a 15 minute interview that David will conduct with Tom um, in a, a few minutes after that. But we do have enough space for at least one of these. Heather's got some great questions for you, Tom. Uh-oh. <laughs> so here is a big one. What have you learned about yourself as you've started working on these stories and looking back over your life because you clearly haven't learned to be more careful? That's her, not me. <laughs> Heather, I think I'm more careful. It's just there's so many different types of situations. I just keep going through new situations. They're all new. So what have you learned, though, about yourself from um, working on these stories? I, I, like, I never like to take uh, the same trail twice. So I love loop trails. Um, and, and I do learn things about myself. Uh, personally, that as I hike and as I, I walk through, you know, there are life lessons in all these things too. Okay, then um, here we go. The poetry of how you describe the landscape stood out in all of your stories. Oh, thank you. You. This is also Heather, so thank Heather. <laughs> You really paint for us the beauty that you've seen. Are you also a writer of poetry? No, no, I, um, I like poetry and I like those, those lines in, in songs that are very descriptive. And even today I was out walking in the rain and watching the droplets on a branch just hanging there. You know, we, we go too fast through life. I think if you go outside and you stop, and you stay there for a long time and you look around, you keep seeing new things all the time. So it's worth doing. Beautiful, that's beautiful. So like I said, we do have an interview with Tom coming up. So why don't I um, do some closing remarks here before we get to that. Um, and the first, actually, thing I'm going to do is ask Sarah to unmute for a moment and share. Uh, I'm the treasurer for um, Two Tales Live, and so it's up to me to put a plug in for donations. And so if you like what you hear or just feel compelled to give us money, we're always willing to accept it. And it, it's easy to do. You just go to our website, which is truetaleslivenewhampshire.org, and you'll see a donate button. And you can donate anything you want, anywhere from a dollar to, I don't know, a hundred. So um, just letting you know that um, we would be most appreciative. Thanks. Thank you, Sarah. All right, so thank you all for being with us tonight. And thanks to Tom for putting this show together. We know how hard he worked and um, we just really appreciate it. And thanks, yes, and thanks to our live audience, all you folks, whether your last name is Osberg or not, having <laughs> you here. Having you here was really, really beautiful and appreciated as always. Um, we will be moving on to the backstory interview with David and Tom, but first let me give you a little bit of information. Our next True Tales live Zoom show is on Tuesday, March 29th at 7 p.m. The theme is Exercising Your Rights. It's our annual activism show which generally is one of our favorites. We still have spaces open for tellers, so please get in touch with us to sign up. And you can go to truetaleslivenh.org to register to attend as well. So whether for next month or beyond that, we really would love to hear your story. Our plans and themes for 2022 have been released and we have many open slots. You can find the info on our website and Facebook page. 
March and April will definitely be on Zoom. We do have hope to try some in-person programming in May and June before our summer break. We'll keep you updated on that since things keep changing. We also encourage you to attend our monthly workshops. Those we just decided to keep on Zoom for the whole year and not have any confusion. So from 7 to 8.30 on Tuesday nights, usually the first Tuesday, and the next one is March 1st. You'll get feedback on your story and practice telling on Zoom. So contact us at info at truetaleslivenh.org um, to find out about workshops, to sign up to tell a story, all of that. Also, I want to let you know that the uh, 41st annual Sharing the Fire Gathering of Storytellers and Story Lovers is, was supposed to be in Portsmouth in March but it is now going to be held virtually, March 25th to 27th. And you can find out more at the website, nestorytelling.org. Another update is that True Tales Live is now being shared on Tellview Media, a nationwide media lending library for public media stations. PPM TV has just added us as one of their premier shows. The other program that we know that PPM TV features is Living and Learning with Disabilities. And John tells us that has now had 7 million viewers watch those shows. So we'll see, uh, we'll, we'll be getting farther out there and we're very excited to reach more people. Watch us on Portsmouth Public Media TV, Comcast Channel 20, uh, 98, Tuesdays and Thursdays at 8 p.m. Saturdays at 1 p.m. and anytime as video on demand or podcast, truetaleslivenh.org is where you can access all of that. Quick thank you to some of those who make this show possible. John Lovering, Pat Spaulding, David Frainer, Sarah Benningfield, Sam Adams, Kamisha Foley, and myself, Amy Antonucci. And um, I'm going to be turning this over here. And before we do the 15-minute backstory, we invite you to join us for a minute of movement and fun with our online tradition of a True Tales Live dance party. Shake off the, the Zoom cobwebs so we can sit back down and really listen to the interview. We've been having a great time with it and really hope you'll have your video on and move at least a little, even just like nodding your head, we'll, we'll take it. And you might wanna to switch to gallery view and see everyone dancing together. It's super fun and John, go for it. 